Growth Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Travel Growth Podcast. I'm Tom McLaughlin, founder of SEO Travel, and this is where I speak to successful travel business leaders and dig into the successes, challenges, and learnings from their experiences over the years. So you, the listener, can take away actionable advice to enhance your own businesses and maybe even lives too. My guest today is Paul Johnson. Paul is the founder of a luxury travel blog, which, as you might have guessed, is a travel blog covering the best in luxury travel and the finer things in life. The blog has more than a million followers on social media channels, thousands of people subscribe to the email list, and received in excess of 100,000 visits every month to the website. It was the first luxury travel blog to be created, and it continues to lead the way in sharing luxury travel information with the world online. In this conversation, I speak to Paul about how he grew such a big following for the site, the journey and skills he developed in his early years in local tourism to get it off the ground, and how he scales content production as a one-man band, amongst many other really useful nuggets. He's got a really interesting perspective from both sides of the coin, both running a travel business, but also being the owner of an editorial publication that works with other travel businesses. And that surfaces some, surfaces some interesting takeaways, both on partnerships and how best to work then to benefit everyone involved. Really enjoyed this one. Paul's a really nice guy and has some really interesting stuff to share. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's me talking to Paul Johnson. Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, Tom. Really excited to have you on uh, and talk to you a little bit more about what you've done and, and how you've grown a luxury travel blog. Uh, I'm sure many people in the travel industry will will already know who you are. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping we can <clears throat> dig a little bit more into the background of how you how you set things up and what the journey was to get to where you are now and uh, uncover sure. a few a few nuggets that you haven't covered before. Um, so to start things off, I thought we'd go all the way back to the beginning and. See, when, when you first got into travel, what was your first kind of experiences that you remember of travel? Uh, so my first memories as a kid would be uh, camping holidays in France. We used to go to places like uh, Brittany, Loire every year, sometimes twice a year as a family. Uh, just spend two, three, sometimes four weeks out in France, uh, often in the summer months. And uh, yeah, just really happy memories of uh, adventures, you know, getting up at uh, three o'clock, well, being woken up at three o'clock in the morning, put in the car and suddenly waking up uh, at the ferry terminal and uh, having having adventures on, on holiday. Yeah. So that was my, I suppose, first foray into travel. And we used to do that every year, as I say. Um, and then probably uh, early mid 80s was the first time I actually flew anywhere because we'd always driven and gone on the ferry. Um, and that was uh, to the Greek islands, to Corfu. And then beyond that, um, sort of perhaps more um, culturally different trips. Uh, I, I remember when I was about uh, 17, 18, I think I had my 18th birthday out in Morocco um, and uh, just lots of adventures since then as well. Yeah, nice. Was it something that, that grabbed you? Do you remember thinking like, wow, I love this. This is something I want to kind of go into or, or was it just your general, like, yeah, obviously you like going on holiday and as a uh, No, it was a bit more than that. It was just a, a, an excitement really whenever we went new places. And um, I've always had a sort of a love and interest for the world. I, uh, my degree was in geography and geology. Um, and I, I remember as a kid looking back through sort of 
back copies of National Geographic and being fascinated by different parts of the world. And it's something I've, that's always sort of resonated with me. Okay, nice, nice. So, so you mentioned your, your degree there. Tell us, uh, I guess, how did the journey start from doing that at uni? So doing that, I know you then you went on to do a, a PhD in glaciology. Was That's that? correct, yeah. 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 So, so I worked out in Greenland and yeah. Nice. So, so how, how did you go from, yeah, from what kind of happened from there if you so from education? Um, actually, before I started at uh, university, so when I was still in, in the sixth form, um, my parents semi-retired and moved to the Lake District, which is where I live now. And they bought um, a Georgian house with holiday cottages around the back. And, and so they ended up uh, in the tourism business through semi-retirement, if you like. Um, and I used to help with that business. They um, they were winners of the, uh, effectively, uh, what was the Oscars of the for the English Tourist Board, the England for Excellence Awards. And they, they won the best uh, self-catering accommodation in, in the country. And... Uh, when I was at university, I would look after that business uh, by, in the winter months, they would holiday in South Africa and uh, I would have the telephone calls diverted to my halls of residency university uh, so that they could, and it, and it was a really busy time as well. The, the winter months was when all the bookings would come in for the year ahead. Um, but in addition to that, I started um, working um, for a, a small tourist board in the area where we lived uh, in the Lake District. Uh, distributing um, a top attractions leaflet, so the top 20 things to see and do in, in that area. And um, that had sort of snowballed on to uh, distributing literature for other tourist attractions. This was going out to restaurants and hotels and so on. Uh, to the point that one year, this this quite small tourist organisation got a grant and they produced a million leaflets, which I was going up every weekend from university, distributing these leaflets, coming back and doing my uh, degree and PhD as well. And um, on top of all that is when the web started. So we're in about 1993 now where I started dabbling with doing a uh, web design. I did a website for uh, my parents' uh, holiday cottage business. And uh, or their their business used, used to mostly come from repeats, people that had stayed before and were coming back. That accounted for about 70 or 80% of their business, but suddenly, uh, through the, through quite a basic website, just simply because there wasn't much competition out there at the time, uh, they were getting forty percent of their business uh, through the web in the space of about twelve months. So, um, so, so, what prompted you to start learning how to build a website? Because that's quite, that's a far cry from geography and geology. <laughs> I was I was writing up my uh, PhD on glaciology, so I'd, I'd, I was in the third year of of that, and. Um, Basically, I, I, I would st stay late in the department write, writing up my thesis and so on, and I would have access to a whole computer lab uh, with a reasonably good internet connection at the time. It was obviously the university's connection. And not only that, because the computers weren't necessarily the fastest, I could uh, rig up three or four computers. The chairs were on wheels. I could roll between one and the other. And so on, on the one machine, I, I had my thesis. If I got a bit bored, I would go and look at Yahoo as it was then with its gray background and uh, and start understanding how how web pages were coded and, and all that sort of thing. And I think the first website I created was on something called Angel Fire, which I don't think many people have heard of now. Uh, eventually it progressed onto being something called uh, uh, some hosting through uh, Pipex, which is an internet service provider. 
and eventually getting their own domain name and so on. So, but me doing their website also led on to me doing websites for other other people in particularly in the late district. And and what and what motivated you to to do that? So you said obviously they were getting 70-80% of the business that way. They were clearly, you know, they got all these, you know, got this awards for being a, yeah. a great place. Like I, I guess it doesn't sound like there was like this desperate need to push the business, their business forward. What what made you think oh, I want to do that? Uh I suppose the the business was doing very well, but you you know and I know that you rest on your laurels and and things catch up with you. So it's always good to be at the forefront. Um, so yeah, they, it wasn't that like they they needed the business. They did very well on occupancy. It's sort of ninety percent plus occupied each year, um, which for an area on the periphery of the Lake District was really good. Uh, it was more just an interest in the web. Uh, suddenly the, we we were given this way that we could we could send a message to somebody in the states and get one back within seconds and that's was relatively unheard of unless you went to the expense of telegrams or whatever and so it was a fascination with this suddenly this world opening up that made uh gave us a, a far greater ease of communication i suppose yeah okay do you do you have siblings i've got an older brother yeah have you? So was he was he involved as well? It sounds like a bit of a family business kind of thing. Was, uh, was he well, he, had, he no, he. Um, I'm, I'm going to joke here that he's the black sheep of the family, but that's only to wind <laughs> him up. So no, so he's he he lives down south, and um, uh, he had already finished his degree and was was working by this point. So okay. um, no, I, um, I'm not saying. I mean, he actually works in in the computer industry but in a in a sort of very different sphere so yeah okay okay so so yeah you you get the website up and running and then you meant you mentioned you had the leaflet thing going on how did how did that turn into you doing websites for other for other people so i suppose the fact that i was um i, I was distributing leaflets for a whole myriad of different attractions so um people might have heard of uh, beatrix potter so who's famous for this area uh, there's a world of beatrix potter attraction there was a, a outdoor activity center that i was distributing leaflets for and and so on uh, so when it came to me having done a website i could say to people uh, well i'm distributing your literature and that's bringing you lots of business but have you thought about a website as well so i already had a sort of base of, of clientele there that I could call upon who were hopefully happy with what I was doing for them and could say oh yeah this is another opportunity uh, and so I suppose my first web design clients were mostly existing clients that I was distributing literature for um, and then that started to get seen more and more by and, and I started to pick up more uh, clients in the accommodation sector which I wasn't distributing leaflets for hotels because they don't tend to work that way they they advertise in different ways you can't re really leave a hotel's leaflet in another hotel <laughs> um but but once i started uh, doing websites for some hotels as well then that tended to snowball because i could say to one hotel look i've done this for xyz what do you think and this would be good for you you know yeah. so. okay and and you mentioned is you mentioned you you know you there delivering a million leaflets and you know suddenly you've got this web design work was it was it just you doing it did you did you have a team um so 
uh, initially it was just me, yeah. Um, but then also at, at one point I was going out to Greenland as well to um, collect samples and and do research out there. Uh, so I did I did employ people to help, and and one of those employees is now my wife. So. Okay, <laughs> but good, she wasn't at the time. So she she was uh, very good at helping me out and um, uh, effectively when I was away and um, just would look after things and. And she knew this area well as well. So yeah, that's one way of courting, Paul, isn't it? <laughs> the <laughs> the I, I, as someone who also works with their wife. <laughs> um, the uh, so so you built so what so you built a bit of a team to cover off some of that. How did you how did you find that? How did, did you find that a kind of an easy process just to get people in and kind of do that stuff and I guess delegate the things you needed to do? Yeah, initially initially it was fairly smooth. Um, but as my business grew and when I went full time, uh, the team got up to about 10 of us. In the end, we ended up dropping the leaflet side of things because we were so busy with the web. Um, so we had about 10 of us doing web designers or marketing of some shape or form. And um, that that went well, but there were, you know what it's like, sort of managing a team of people and the odd character not getting on with another one or, or we I think we've talked about this before but um so that had its challenges and it wasn't really what I had set out to do and I suppose that's why it was particularly challenging um it wasn't really perhaps within my skill set so so what so you made a so you had you had the bit was the business still doing well at that point was it kind of like coming a lot in from a commercial sense yeah I mean some of my most successful years were um when there was a number of us certainly um so the way it evolved is we we did this uh, distribution and um the website as well eventually we went purely to web and then as we started seeing that we were doing really well for these hotels and they were getting a lot of bookings we thought we can do some of these sites for ourselves and and get a commission on bookings. So we set up uh, hotels which were based more on an affiliate model where we worked with the likes of Booking.com, uh, Superbreak, Active Hotels, uh, all people that were around at the time, okay. and uh, got a commission from bookings. Okay. Now, if if I take uh, take that a stage further, that did really well for a while. We were the um, biggest seller of rooms for Premier Inn. Um, I think uh, at its peak, we were effectively filling one of their hotel hotels every day. Um, so that was doing really well. And we were getting quite a small commission on bookings with them, but the volume was good. So, yeah, you know, okay. it, it worked well. Uh, then along came um, Penguin and Panda updates, which you'll you'll be able to put a time timestamp on that. I'm sure I'm, I don't know what year we're up to now, maybe um, around the millennium somewhere. Uh, no, later than that, I think. Yeah, I think Peng Penguin and Panda kicked in when I was, yeah, when I, before I'd started SEO travel, okay. I reckon back, back end of the two, to, sort of maybe between 08 and 10, it would. It would okay, be yeah, that sounds period. possible, yeah. Um, so where we had been ranking really well for um, hotels in, and then a place name, suddenly we were facing quite stiff competition through, um, because Google's, algorithm basically over time started to erode the, the smaller man and, and favor the the trip advisors the booking.coms and people like that so 
um, what what had been doing really, really well started to tail off. And the other thing we fell foul of was we were um, working with somebody on a text link advertising basis and, and Google really clamped down on that kind of activity. So yeah, the glory, the glory days. Yeah. Um, the, so, so just to zoom a couple of things there, just to clarify for people listening that um, Pe Penguin and Panda were updates by Google that, um, yeah, basically kind of changed how they, how their algorithm worked and uh, yeah, penalized various things. So Panda was a more kind of content orientated update and Penguin was a bit more of a link, a link one. Um, just, just to, just to kind of come back to one of the things you mentioned for. So you, you made this change from right, right, let, rather than let's just build websites for people, let's create our own, our own yeah. websites that, that work and drive revenue. You still had the full team at that point, but you, you kind of touched on a little bit there that you, you, you didn't necessarily love, love doing that. Was when, when you were building these new sites and setting all these things up, was that still with a full team of people behind you? Or was that something that you kind of, uh, at, what, at what stage did you thin it down? So it was all, it was a kind of gradual growth and a gradual decline with that as well. So, um, but, but yeah, we started spinning lots of plates with, with the full team. So even when we started uh, creating these affiliate sites, we were still, um, we were still servicing uh, hotel clients and, and attractions and so on. Um, then probably quite a key member of staff emigrated and, and obviously we've mentioned Penguin and Panda. And things became a bit tougher. Obviously, I had the, the wage bill to pay and suddenly not the same revenue coming in. Um, I, I didn't have to make redundancies or anything, but uh, we just had a, a sort of natural turnover of staff with one or two. I, somebody uh, went on maternity leave and, and chose not to come back and somebody emigrated. And gradually it and I, I could see what was happening with the affiliate sites. And that's it was I had already started a luxury travel blog, just sort of dabbling with that in my lunch hour using um, using a, I don't I don't think I used WordPress originally using Blogspot or something like that. I can't remember. Um, and and so, yeah, there was a kind of natural curve, I suppose. Um, and it fairly quickly became just two of us looking after the affiliate sites and and the blog. Um, I, I had one or two new web design clients, but but also a lot more people who come into that that space as well. There were a lot of people producing really quite high end websites for not a lot of money. There's all the sorts of things. I don't know when the likes of Squarespace came in, but all these other things like Wix and so on meant that people could create their own websites. Not always very well, but um, they could save save a few pounds. Yeah. Um, so, and, and the other thing I liked about the affiliate sites was um, that I was very much my own boss. If, if we, we could make the decisions and so on, on on how we wanted something to look or whether whether we needed an extra page for something or, or what, where, and really it was very much on our terms, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I guess it, like, like you say, you just, you just maybe made what maybe made kind of the conscious decision that you didn't want to have a big team to manage, but it was, it, but so you just let it, yeah, you just kind of let it yeah. fade back to being, to being you. Um, and so now the situation now where I am almost exclusively just doing the blog is I do have a, a team, but they're all 
freelancers that I can call upon as and when. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, just just to kind of hover on that one more one more time, the yeah, what 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 did you find being the kind of chief challenges of of having a team? You mentioned mainly them people not getting on with each other. Was there anything else about having a team versus you know just doing things yourself? I suppose the the biggest concern would be something like cash flow when you've got when you've we've very much made hay whilst the sun shine we've we knew that wasn't going to going to carry on forever but we hoped i suppose as everyone does that it continues a bit longer than it did um but obviously the pressures of paying 10 people every month and and seeing that income decline as well so yeah 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 okay um so you, then you you had these you had the affiliate sites i just want to kind of delve into that that a little bit more in terms of what you had there because yeah. it wasn't like you had one or two <laughs> you, had, <laughs> no. you had quite a lot didn't you so tell, tell yeah. us a little bit more about how what scale you you did that on so the the, the site that we started with was a hotel a, a hotel site for hotels throughout the uk um initially it worked on the on the basis of uh, a, a simple membership um, that it was £50 a year for a hotel to be listed on the site with picture and description and so on. But very quickly, we sort of realised that if a hotel didn't come on board, we could add them and actually make more than £50 through the bookings that we generated through whoever we partnered with. So those sites very quickly became predominantly affiliate based because that way we could make more money than just taking a 50 pound listing fee but in addition to uk to this uk hotel site we had a, a uk holiday cottage site we even had a website for uh, tourist attractions even though people they didn't tend to t- book those online because we could we could simply make money off the google ads as well and those sites tended to be to do really well for traffic because there wasn't a lot of competition this is pre tripadvisor being the size that it is now yeah uh, we even had sites for activities, and we started uh, doing sites for uh, shops, restaurants. Um, we even had one for railway stations, so to sell rail tickets and so on. So we had a site where every railway station in the UK had its own page, um, and and we would and there would be a whole description there saying that X Y Z station is on the such and such to such line. Um, blah 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 and book your rail tickets here Uh, you mentioned that we sort of scale things up so we started when so out of i think we had about a dozen uk sites and the ones that particularly did well were the accommodation ones and the tourist attraction ones so we started doing we thought right let's do this with france with spain with portugal so i think there's about 50 european countries we went and got all the domain names for the theme that we had for, uh, I think it was called a France hotel, a Spain hotel.com, a Portugal hotel. And we did this 50 domains, 50 sites, and then we would do it for a France attraction, a Spain attraction. We, these sites would interlink as well, so that would help their traffic. And then we went and did it with the states as well. So we did one for every state. So very quickly, I think just in the US and Europe, we had 200 websites, 50. 50 hotels and hotel sites for the states 50 attraction sites and then 50 of each for europe as well and 
some of them did quite well. Some of them, it, we basically ended up with a situation where we spread ourselves really thinly and it was hard to promote all these sites well. So some of the, perhaps the ones you would expect to do well, like France and Spain did do well, but Georgia and Lithuania didn't get off the ground in quite the same way, yeah. Although there wasn't much competition for them as well, because there weren't many Lithuanian hotel sites out there at the time. So. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you ever look back and think, oh, we should have we should have pushed on with with something on on those things? I feel that we should have um, focused on a smaller handful, maybe set them all up so that we had the names and everything, but maybe really focus on a small handful of them and sort of grow a bit more organically like that. Um, but in yeah, it's it's hard to know because you don't know how much they would have been decimated by penguin and panda because they all yeah. interlinked with each other as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess because you had such a huge amount of them, yeah, when when that point hit and, yeah, Google kind of took them down, it was almost like it took them down in one fell swoop and, yeah, trying to cherry pick one or two just didn't make sense. Yeah, and suddenly even if you're only paying $10 per domain per annum, which is roughly what it is. You still got two hundred lots of that, so yeah, you're starting to have a cost that isn't really bringing a return. And yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you, this we're, we're coming on to the luxury travel blog in a minute. The obviously up until now, there's all this stuff going on. It sounds it sounds like you always had a kind of entrepreneurial spirit. Do you, do you think that's fair? You've like came, you sort of came straight out of education and you were straight into doing doing stuff of your own. Yeah, I, th I think I've always been um, keen to work for myself. Um, even before, even as a school kid, I set up my own business. To, so I had a, this is very sort of uh, pre-digital area, but I had my own uh, printing business. Uh, as a 16 year old, I used to have a letterpress printer. I would print letterheads for uh, local businesses and things like that. Right. So, yeah, I've always been inclined to work for myself and not for somebody else, I suppose. So. Yeah. Do you know where that came from? Is that is that a, fam a fam running a family thing or is? Uh, well, my dad, my dad uh, worked for an estate agents, uh, but who was a senior uh, partner. Um, and, and I suppose when they semi retired, they were running their own business. So that was perhaps when I was in my, my teens, um, yeah. uh, probably quite formative. Yeah. Saw that so. it was a thing. Yeah. Saw that it was. An <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then, yeah, you said, so this kind of a luxury travel blogs kind of started along what alongside while the affiliate sites were there at what, at what stage did you think, or oh, was it, was it when they all plummeted and you thought, right, I've got to do something different now, or was it already on the go? Yeah, no, it was very much already on the go. So it was a bit of a case of, um, I would, I would wander into town, grab my grab a sandwich, come back to the office, um, and just rather than work, I'd have a break in inverted commas. I start browsing, and I think it was also it, this must have been around two thousand and three. Well, no, the uh, yeah, the blog started in two thousand and five. So I got married in two thousand and four. So certainly two thousand and three, I was obviously doing some searching, planning for honeymoon, and so on. And seeing all these amazing places and i've always had a an interest in the luxury and a lot of my clients were luxury hotels and i just remember being sort of blown away at how high-end some of the luxury travel opportunities out there are and 
just sort of thought, oh, I could, and, and blogging was starting. So I thought, oh, I could run a blog about this. There were very few travel blogs around at the time. And those that did exist were really maybe a personal account of somebody backpacking in Southeast Asia rather than, so they tended to be more uh, budget travel focused. So I suppose what I was doing was, I mean, there's a, a glut of travel, uh, luxury travel blogs out there now, as there is of any tra kind of travel blog. Um, but it, it was very much unique at the time. I, I think I can fairly say that it's probably the first luxury travel blog out there. And um, yeah, I just started uh, researching honeymoon and looking around. And when I found something interesting, I would write about it and put it on the blog. And I would very much keep that to my lunch hour when I finished my sandwich or whatever, right? Push that aside, back to it. But as time went on, I suppose my lunch hour, I, I maybe spent two hours doing a luxury travel blog because I was seeing the traffic come in and, and I thought it, I was quite enjoying it as well, you know. So um, it just kind of gradually evolved. Did you view it when you were starting it? Was was it with a commercial intent in mind? Did you think, oh, I can turn this into something that will, yeah, will will become a living or will bring some money in, or was it was it purely an I, uh, yeah, a, a, this is a place to write about things? Day one, it was purely a thing of interest, a personal interest. I maybe, perhaps naively thought, uh, oh, I might be able to do some luxury hotel reviews with this or whatever, but um, that wasn't necessarily the the main motivation because um, quite a bit of work involved with doing luxury hotels, hotel reviews as it as it turns out. But um, it it very well. I, I won't say very quickly, but after two or three years of getting the blog really quite well established, it, it started it started to become something a bit more serious, and and this. At this point, it was probably at the time when, yeah, this your timeline of 2008 is probably sitting quite nicely alongside that. So I, I set up the blog in 2005, and I would say it started to become a business in its own right after about three years. Okay. And then, yeah, did that come... In fact, let's let t t tell us a little bit. I guess it kind of says it on the tin, but tell it tell us, tell us a little bit more about what it is now. So, what 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 does the blog look like now? What's the premise sure. of of it? So, I, I think most people's perception of a travel blog is that it's about the person behind the blog and what they get up to on their travels, and that's commonly what a travel blog is. But but it's not what a luxury travel blog is. So, I I say to people, it's it's more akin to travel magazine than it is to that uh, concept of a travel blog um so it's i'm not at the fore of or i'm not in all the pictures and it's not first-hand accounts all the time and it's um a multi-author platform so we've had more than 700 people have written for the site it's by no means just me or me and a couple of others um so in that sense it's it's totally different um and, and many of the people contributing to the blog are people in the industry that are, are writing editorial content, but with a signature at the end as a means to uh, gain some awareness and brand awareness for their businesses. Yeah. Okay. And give us a quick view of what where it's at at the moment in terms of numbers, you know, like obviously social following, you know, newsletter, yeah. all those kind of things. So, um the the visitor numbers are around 140 150,000 a month 
Uh, Audience-wise, it's primarily US and UK. That makes up about 70% uh, of our audience. And thereafter, it's primarily uh, English-speaking and European countries making up the bulk of the remaining 30%. Uh, social media-wise, it's about 1.2 million combined across all channels, uh, mostly on Twitter and Facebook. And uh, what was the other part of your question, sorry? Email, the email list. <laughs> oh, mailing list. Um, well, actually, I've just this week, I've made a decision to... So I, I use MailChimp and, and uh, you have your very engaged, your sometimes engaged and your rarely engaged. And I think most people's mailing list has a lot of people that are rarely engaged. Uh, I've I've taken quite a drastic decision of trimming that down as a bit of a, you basically pay for your number of subscribers. And if they're rarely engaged, I'm thinking, uh, I'd rather have a really, yeah, I'd have a, rather have a really high quality list. So I think after the big, Truncation is at about seven or eight thousand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think it's a sensible, sensible yeah. decision. Uh, well, I think it also has a greater chance of then landing in somebody's inbox as exactly well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You call yeah. It the quality and things of, of, of your email going through. If you have a better, better open rate and all those kind of things, yeah. um, will definitely help. So that makes sense. So yeah, obviously, you know, those that context shows it's it's got to a very impressive place you know from 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 those humble beginnings from when you were <laughs> when you were setting it out was it was there anything in particular that you took from all those other experiences that you had when you started it did you kind of think oh I did that this way or I did that that way and therefore I've got to do this the other yeah. way or I don't know any, anything in particular that stood out so I, I suppose a, a big thing there is is the way I I staff it I I don't have a a payroll that I've got to and PAYE to sort or other than our own, you know. Um, so that's been a very conscious decision. That means that I don't have to have business premises in town uh, so I can let those out. Um, I, I still own the premises, but I can let them out and just work from home. So this, all these lockdowns, this transition has been very sort of natural for me that I was working from home anyway when I wasn't traveling. Um, the only difference is the house is a bit fuller now with my wife, my wife's a teacher. She's teaching in another room, and the kids are upstairs on online lessons. Uh, one of them being taught by mum, which is all a bit strange. But <laughs> <laughs> ah, nice, nice, yeah. Over into the next zoom and into the next room. <laughs> exactly. Nice. It's a, it's um, a wonder our internet connection's still working. <laughs> hey, it's been good. It's holding up, boy. It's holding up. <laughs> um, the so, so how do you how do you manage that? So you mentioned you see there's no full time staff there, so what what's your what does the business look like in terms of freelancers you work with you mentioned you've got kind of the writers in terms of i guess other businesses or people who want to contribute to the blog is there anyone else in the in the picture that you you, you work with freelance wise uh well that's yourself of course oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um i mean whilst we're on that we is it worth talking about what we've been doing or yeah hey absolutely yeah. If, if you like to yeah yeah, so um, one thing you've you've been I won't use the word nagging because it's a it's a really good advice. We've we've been keen, obviously, for some time to produce uh, some travel guides to supplement the blog content on on the site, and so create pages that are um, uh, really content rich and will bring people in and then help the blog content get reach more viewers. And it's something I've procrastinated on a lot for, I think, at least two years now, isn't it, since since we first talked about it. Um, 
but the fact that I've not been traveling and, and we've had lockdowns really given me the opportunity to to focus on it and I'm glad to say that we've now got uh, 30 guides out there now each of these about 5,000 words and obviously I wouldn't have been able to do that with without also working with freelancers to, to produce that content um, and I think it's already paying dividends isn't it that they're already bringing in traffic so yeah yeah no it's great yeah. I think you know and again like go back to the like scalability of something as we've talked about is that something that I, you know is there's a huge amount of potential there for the for the site and I guess going back to you know some of the things without this wanting to become an SEO consultancy uh, <laughs> conversation uh, like one of the re- big reasons behind that was that you had so much fantastic content on the site but it was all just a bit kind of sporadic and everywhere yeah. and those travel guides hopefully will bring some structure to it so that you can kind of shine a light on the really high quality pieces or the most yeah. I guess the ones you want to be more prominent that people might be searching for more yeah. um, and give people almost like a, a journey through the site rather than it just being a case of look at the latest things that we've you know that we've yeah. produced and then the kind of traditional WordPress archiving system so yeah I, I think uh, well I'm really excited for you to you know for that to roll out because I think it will it will continue to have a you know to have a big impact on things on yeah the I, I sent a mailing the other day actually and the the traffic I mean, at this point last year was when traffic on travel sites really started to to wane. But we're now at our highest traffic level for five years. So that's good. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Um, yeah. That's Only by a little bit, but it's it's heading in yeah. the right direction as well. Well, so. yeah. I mean, in the circumstances, that's pretty, yeah, yeah. that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because whilst obviously in general, you know, we're recording this at the start of March and um, yeah, things are starting to come back round but I would say certainly not back to the no, you know, no. extent of normality so the fact that traffic's up that much is great good to good to hear um the any anyone else then any other kind of freelance support outside of that so I, I have um one or two one or two people who help with writing I also have people that help with marketing just uh, distribution of content once it's published and I have one or two people that um maybe do 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 bits for me on a quid pro quo basis where they might uh, do a hotel review for me and uh, we have some sort of agreement between us that's you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> Fairly yeah. informal, yeah. Yeah. In to, to, on that content distribution thing, because I think this might be really useful, you know, if people who are listening to this are business, travel business owners, uh, that that side of the like distributing the content, Can you can you give us a bit more information on that? Yeah, sure. Who that is doing that, kind of what the process is that they, they go through. So so as I was alluding to earlier, most most of the contributors to our site are what we would call guest bloggers. They're people that are in the industry writing content for the site. And at the end of every article they write is a link to a, a bit of text saying who they are and a link to their website. Now, when they publish an article, they get an email back from me saying your article is now live. Here, here's a resource that you can use to promote your blog post. And, and that's about a 12-page document that we provide to our guest bloggers that just gives, it's essentially a list of links of things like Facebook groups, um, LinkedIn groups, places where, you, where it's perfectly legitimate to not link them, but basically say, I've just written this article, please come and have a read. And, and so it's a way of uh, amplifying the content to a to a wider audience through primarily through social media 
and that obviously can have a knock-on effect if it gets more links from an SEO point of view as well. Yeah. So it's the people, yeah, so it's using the people who have contributed the content to then... Yeah, because it's in their interest as well that their content is seen more, although it's also, it's a symbiotic thing, really. But in addition to that, I've also worked... Sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. Uh, So in addition to that, I've worked with freelancers where maybe I've written an article, I don't have time to promote it, but I'll I will give that document to somebody and they'll just spend a few hours prom- promoting it. Okay, got you. And and how do you find the kind of take up of that of all the people who are writing the content? What proportion of people are kind of I guess good and active in then promoting it when they write it? Uh, short answer: not enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Largely because we've all got huge demands on our time. I mean, it would be time well spent for them because it seems a great shame to produce all that content and then not have the maximum audience that you could have on it. Um, But the reality is that they've gone to the time and trouble of producing that content and they've got other things to do as well. Uh, some Some people are really good at it, but I would say... Unfortunately, they're in the minority and many people just rely on the fact that the blog gets fairly good traffic anyway or gets seen by a fair yeah. number of people. But it, will, it would get seen by more if, if they could invest more time into it. I mean, we also offer uh, packages to people where we can do that marketing on their behalf as well. So, Yeah, OK. So, we, yeah, I guess I, um, again, think it, putting myself in the shoes of, you know, a lot of the people that we work with and time is the chief challenge for them and being able to you know spin all the plates and 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 do the day job as well as do the marketing and and all that kind of thing and it's just i guess trying to give them some food for thought for ways that they can like content writing as an example is one that is often a place where there's lots and lots of ideas for things that can be written but putting the time into producing it is uh is often a challenge so your models a very interesting one that I think people could think about. It's obviously slightly different given you're more of a editorial site rather than a, you know, kind of commercial company kind of a site. But, yeah. um, but I, I do think there's, there's potential angles there that people could use to try and work together, whether it's with other, other businesses or, you know, trying to find a quid pro quo, like you mentioned, can you get people to write for you and then in return that, you know, something gives something to them because, it's a problem. It's, yeah, well, it's a real. It's a real problem for people. And one of the things that we're doing on the blog at the moment is because we've got this challenge of producing all these travel guides, and we want to produce them in large numbers. Is we're we're saying to people that if you help us pr- produce these guides, we can help you with advertising. Um, so hopefully, I mean, we are getting some take up of that already. So hopefully, that's going to just help the site grow that little bit more. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I would, you know, I would encourage anyone listening who has that, who has that kind of challenges to think outside the box a little bit and think, yeah, what could you, what could you offer to to people in return for writing? Because the, I think going to, you know, the success that you've had, Paul, the basis of it, which we, you know we'll probably come on to in a little while, is the that depth of content that you have. You know that's what's got you to where you are now, and I think when you, when you're a site that doesn't have much content, kind of it can be very outfacing to think, oh wow, I've got to create all of this huge mass of, of content. Yeah. But if you just 
sort of getting to a flow of consistently chipping away at it. Then just one day you look back and you're like, yeah. oh, wow, look at that. Look at that that I've got. And it works. You know, it, it drives. Yeah. You mentioned the traffic. And I think there. this was uh, behind a lot of my procrastination of, you know, the daunting task of getting this done whilst I was doing everything else. So that two years where I, had I started chipping away two years ago, I would be in a, a better place than I am now. I'm, st I'm, I'm, I'm still glad that we've got to where we are have now, but um, obviously I, I could be at 230 guys rather than just 30. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And have you got any tips for kind of staying on top of that amount of content and though the amount of people you've got producer, you mentioned more than 700 people, right? You know, having written for the site, how do you, how do you manage that? It sounds like that is your, you know, that's one of the it things is, that yeah, falls yeah. on your shoulders. <laughs> Uh, beyond just saying work hard, I, I'm not quite <laughs> sure what to say, really. Um, yeah, I don't think I've got any sort of magic solution. Um, yeah. Do you Sorry, have, no. do you, ha do you have um, uh, like guidelines that you give to people beforehand as to like what they should should do? Do they stick yeah. to them? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. yeah, so um, in the case of something like the, the travel guides, what I do is um, let's say I wanted someone to produce the the guide for Spain say um that actually was the first one we did wasn't it but <laughs> let's say I, we didn't have it and we wanted someone to produce Spain I I tend to uh, clone the one we've got for another country France or whatever I, I do all the changes of like the pictures and the everything bar the the editorial if you like I then make it available to the person that's going to do the work and when they get an email from me, they also get a, a PDF file that says, here's what you need to change. These are the sections you need to edit. This is the approximate word count we're looking for each of these. Um, and just some sort of loose guidelines like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I suppose that helps a little with fielding the same question many times over. That doesn't mean to say some people don't ask, ask questions that are already answered by the documentation, but that's we, we know that happens in life. So. This is the world we live in. Exactly. Yeah. The, um, yeah, I think that just general having, having the template and then do they, do they is it the, having the template is a really good, obviously a really good idea and doc, the documentation. And then, yeah, do you get them to edit it directly in the, in the, in the, in the admin section of the site? Uh, I'd, I'm quite happy as to whether they're typing it in word for a spell check or whatever, and then they copy and paste it across, but essentially, yes, they, they go in, and do it in the admin. Um, unbeknown to them, I've taken a backup just in case they <laughs> do, do yeah. something terrible with the page. So yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, nice, nice. Now, yeah. now so they then, all know, of course, if they watch uh, this. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're, they're, well, it's, uh, you know, I think inefficiencies of yeah of, of things like that, even just the process of copying and pasting things over into you know into a document into a into a CMS is timely in itself when you're doing it. So, yeah. so that, that's it. Yeah, and and even when they've they've finished, I probably realistically need to go in and tidy a few things up just to make sure we've got the right number of right amount of text next to a picture and we haven't got lots of white space and things yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. So in in addition to to content, what uh, kind of what marketing approaches have been particularly effective for you to help you know to help grow to where you are now? Um, we found I'm not I wouldn't say I'm heavily any heavily engaged person on social media, but we found Twitter has been really good for driving traffic. Um, 
because much of our content isn't necessarily selling something, we can share blog posts and people people don't feel they're being spammed with hard sell. They they are just genuinely getting what they might get in a travel magazine. So people follow us and they they just get editorial. They're, they're not getting a hard sell all the time. So Twitter's worked really well for that. Um, obviously, if we've got some really nice imagery, particularly with a focus on luxury travel, some of the, the imagery of some, some luxury hotels is stunning. And if you put that on Twitter with your simply your your title and your URL, um, that that's brought us a lot of traffic over the years. Has it and has that has that just grown organically? Is is it was it you know it sounds like like you say you just kind of went for it in terms of publishing and sharing that kind of that kind of stuff. Was there anything you did in particular to grow it? Or I guess you mentioned you were you were early to the game as well. So, yeah, early days, when Twitter first came along, I I couldn't bear it. I thought, what is the point in this? You know, people saying I'm waiting at the bus stop or whatever. And I just <laughs> did not relate to it. But it was around the time I was uh, running the blog. I don't know what year Twitter started, but I, I know it was maybe something like 2005, yeah, 6, I'm 7, not, something I'm not like sure, that. to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway... I started seeing it as a, uh, okay, yeah, I, I, this doesn't have to be the rubbish some people are, are posting. It can be just sharing content from the blog. And so I started to do that and saw traffic came in as a consequence. So I very sort of consciously tried to grow our Twitter following, uh, possibly not by uh, the best means, simply trying to follow people in related fields and the hope that they would follow back and so on. Um and I scaled that up. I won't make any bones about it. We we follow a lot of people, but we're also followed by a lot and, and a lot more. There's, um, There's a bit of a critical mass, isn't there? I think of, yeah, you, you do that for a certain to a certain stage and then you just reach a point where then the natural, yeah, it gets kind of follows on. Yeah. So it's not it's not something I do now. I think it's also something that, that Twitter have stricter controls on how many people you can follow and, and so on. Um, but it, it certainly gave me a good initial platform, if you like. Um, similarly, in the early days of my Facebook following, I, I would actually spend on getting the, with Facebook, on getting a good Facebook following. And that's why, again, to get to that almost critical mass of healthy numbers, if you like. Yeah. Um, and, and, in, and you've also had a lot of kind of coverage, PR, PR kind of coverage, did you do anything actively to to get that, or did that almost did that come as a consequence of when you you were already known? Yeah, I would say that's been entirely organic. I've never really gone out and sought that, but occasionally I'll get an email and can you do this and yeah, or or just get some coverage um, without even knowing anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? What's your approach to it? Is it is it a kind of Yes, if say yes to say yes to everything, come one, come all, or is it a, you know are you quite picky in terms of what? Uh, it's a bit of a say yes to most, but if I see it's um, it, it's got to have some relevance there. If I see somebody just doing it, for example, uh, 101 views of business people uh, about SEO or something something like that, and it's you know you're going to be lost in the long long post, and it's not even travel focused. Yeah. Um, then yeah, I'll, I'll I'll just make the decision that unless I see it's a a really popular site, I'll just make the decision that this isn't probably time well spent. 
Yeah, yeah, okay. Cross but, the border, but, yeah, but, you about. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but generally, if it was anything travel-related, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, we, again, we mentioned your, your email list. There's obviously a lot of, a lot of people on there. Was that, was that something you kind of consciously put effort into? Did that just come about as a result of having a sign-up to my newsletter thing on the website? How, how yeah, in, entirely sign-up to my newsletter. I, I think I did do something for a year or so where it was a bit more of a an aggressive pop-up or pop-under or whatever to sign up to the mail list. I didn't really like that because I think it was just a bit irritating, so I took that off. But it, other than that, entirely organic. Occasionally, when I'm just conversing with somebody and uh, they, they'll say, I really like your content, I might just say, by all means, subscribe to our news, you know. So, yeah, yeah. But it, mostly, it's just people clicking on it from, from the website. Yeah, it's funny the the pop up thing because um, it's it's still incredibly effective. And I think if you ask yeah. any person on the street what they thought of pop ups, they would say that they're annoying, but yeah. that but they work. And I, I think I they're if you've it's just about doing it in the right way. So you know this might be something for you to consider as 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 an idea, but like bringing that kind of thing back, but then maybe bringing in a bit of a content. Kind of giving a, a piece of content away so having a, yeah. a gate, gated content that you know you have your pop-up and you say hey if you want access to the well you could try a couple yeah. you could have just if you want access to the latest luxury travel news click on here or you know you could say if you want this free guide that we've put together that gives yeah. my behind the scenes luxury travel tips that aren't published here you know you could do something like that that would drive more people to the, to the yeah that's a good idea i think there's um Again, like, you know, it's often, it, email is one of those things where I think historically it was one of the earliest types of, you know, I think before people got excited about SEO or, or social media or all these things like email, email marketing was there. And it's a lot of people kind of, I think, forget about it. And it's still yeah. up there with one of the most effective strategies of engaging with an audience and, uh, you know, whether that's driving traffic to the site or again, if people are listening who, are trying to their tour operators or their accommodation sites or individual hotels or whatever, you know, kind of getting an audience that you can then push to in a, you know, effective way and get, and yep. get bookings or get conversions, whatever that might be. Um, it's a really good place to, to put some effort into, I think. Uh, yeah, but definitely. The, the key being that you just always offer value. I think where a lot of people get it wrong is that they don't offer value. They see it as a, an exercise in spam and yeah it's like oh yeah. right they're on my list like bang 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna hit them with their every deal or um you know kind of information about buying something and under the sun and that's why people unsubscribe from stuff so uh yeah, yeah. Want, want to want to think about anyway to yeah definitely keep that because you've got a, you know of, uh, how do you how do you approach the content that you said I've, I've preempted it a bit now. i hope you don't say spam 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah what do you do with your you know with your newsletter how do you how do you engage with it i know you so, don't do that because i'm on it <laughs> <laughs> it's it's split into three channels um so one channel for travelers but it's got a lot of people in the travel industry on it as well uh another channel smaller channel for people in the travel industry and then a, a third much smaller channel uh, which I rarely use for retailers of products that want to promote particular products. So in terms of emails that go out, um, I email around the first of the month to all the travelers with just um, 
a little intro and then the latest posts from the past month. Uh, just some hand-picked ones where there maybe has been a bit of engagement and so on, or or some that are particularly interesting. Um, and then the one that goes out mid-month, um, it goes to the travel industry and usually just sort of opportunities that we're offering uh, travel industry at the time. Maybe, maybe we've got an editorial opportunity come up. Come up. Uh, and sometimes there's a special section for SEO tips with yours truly. Indeed. <laughs> Value, value, value adds. It's all in there. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then the retailer one, uh, we probably only use it once or twice a year, maybe in the build up to Christmas, if anybody has got products they want to, to promote in the run up to Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's a, it's a good example. And again, you know, through all the pandemic and things like that, it's been going on of just showing the value of being engaged and like you say you know offering value there's lots of things in there mentioned like editorial opportunities that come on and that's that's a great reason for people to be on that list and stay on that list because you know there's benefits that can come yeah. to their business sure. um, from, from being on there so yeah good stuff um and then kind of last last question i guess on like the marketing side of things is 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 on partnership type stuff like have you done there's various kind of elements of partnerships that I, I feel from the outside looking in you've you've done obviously like the you know press trippy kind of things that you've done with yeah. people is there anything you've done for, uh, you know even with the writers and you know the business businesses that are writing that whole relationship is a you know a bit of a partnership thing is there anything else partnership wise that you've done with other other blogs, other editorial sites, any kind of recommendations on how to get the most of something like that? So some of, some of the most um, financially fruitful work that I do on the blog is when I, uh, when I get a, a corporate client that wants me to go on a trip. Um, and they're not, they're not always from the travel industry. They may be some sort of peripheral industry that wants to get into the travel press. Um, so just a couple of examples, for example, um, I did a, an expedition with Land Rover right across Nepal. They, they did a, an expedition where they drove some Range Rover, hybrid Range Rovers. There were only three prototypes or three or four prototypes. They drove them from Solihull in Birmingham uh, all the way to Mumbai uh, along the Silk Route. And I was able to join one leg of the journey um, and document that, that on the blog. And uh, so that was a partnership where they paid me a day rate and I got all this fantastic content and, and a, an amazing experience as well with a, a really interesting team. So there's been that kind of project. And I've worked with quite a few car manufacturers as well on other similar things. I did something with BMW in Berlin, um, Hyundai in uh, Portugal and, and, and in uh, Gran Canaria as well. Uh, so some really interesting things where they, they don't want to be just in the automotive press. They want to, there's only a, a, a certain percentage of their demographic that reads the car magazines, et cetera. But yeah, there's lots of people that buy cars. Yeah. Um, so they want to get in that other kind of press, like the travel press. So another example is uh, when I work with American Express. Um, I've, I've done quite a few projects with them, but uh, this was very different from the Nepal trip where I was with a team of 20, 30 people. American Express sent me to... Uh, Helsinki on one occasion they just wanted me to they had some campaign at the time about uh happiness of customers and so on and they wanted me to go out to Helsinki very blank canvas and find 
three or four examples of um, where you get good customer service and it makes the customer happy. Um, and so that was really interesting. I, I, went to a, I went to an ice hockey match and uh, went into a department store where I got the tickets and, and had a really good experience with sort of uh, booking the tickets. And, and all this was, of course, tied in with places that accept Amex and, and so on. So, uh, but very low-key in terms of its advertising. It was, it was not a hard sell by any stretch, but it was quite subtle, subtle advertising. And American Express, I think, are very good at doing that. Yeah, yeah. Do, have you got any recommendations then from from the other side? So things you would say to companies that they were, if they were to work with with you or someone else in that way, you know, in, influencer marketing obviously is kind of booming and taking off. We hear a lot about it. I think we hear as many bad examples as we do good examples. Probably lots more bad examples. Um, so, have you got any recommendations on? best ways to kind of make it work for the for the business when they're doing that kind of thing and I guess maybe like pitfalls to, to look out for as well yeah so from the point of view of a client obviously do your do your research um, work out what it is you want to achieve um, and who it is that is going to best achieve that for you so if, if you're if you're wanting to promote budget travel I'm not your person but if you're wanting to you know, so think about who you're working with, who their audience is. Obviously, if you're if you're an Australian tour operator, again, I'm probably not your business, your person, because most of our audience is UK and US. Um, that doesn't mean to say we haven't got some Australians, but you can you can definitely um, do do a lot of research. Will get you a long way in terms of narrowing down your options. Um, obviously, be uh, wary of. Um, numbers and whether they're genuine or not um i i know uh, I, I went to the arabian travel market a number of years ago and uh they were really really focused on instagrammers and um and just throwing good money at people with high instagram following the following year at the same conference it was a very very different tone because a lot of people have spent a lot of money and got not no return because a lot of these people had fake Instagram followings um, and just bought their followers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look for people that have been around for a, a length of time, maybe done similar projects. Um, I, I was on a blog post of mine the other day. It was a post specifically about um, advice for travel bloggers and so on. And there were a lot of comments on the post. And I, I was quite curious to, to see if these, so a lot of these comments were from other travel bloggers. And I was quite curious to see... Um, whether they were still around. This was an article from about 2012, I think. I went through clicking on, on their profiles and I was shocked at how few were around. So obviously think about the if, if it's a blogger that's been around 10 years, there's a good chance they'll still be around for a few years to come because you're not just thinking of your content for the here and now. Well, it depends on the nature of the project, but to my mind, uh, working with an influencer, you're not just, particularly with a blogger where they've, got all their content archived that content could be producing for you for, for years to come um so you you obviously want to work with a blogger who's still likely to be around in a few years time yeah yeah absolutely i think i think that's a really good point the yeah people the things you mentioned at the start about numbers and fake numbers and all those kind of things are obviously really important i, I think 
a lot of the time people when they think about this kind of campaign will think about that moment in time and yeah if they go you send them on a trip or you you know whatever you're trying to kind of do with them it will be very much the measurement of what happens in that that period that you're there whereas this it kind of crosses over with with our approach to pr as well and how it ties into seo because for us when you when we do pr you want to get the visibility and, and all the benefits at that moment in time, but you also want to get links on websites, on big you know, national exactly. papers, travel publications that will drive your SEO performance in the long term. So you kind of get double whammy. You get the, yeah. the, the immediate visibility and then you get the long-term benefit that comes through search. And it's exactly And that sometimes that long, long-term benefit can far outweigh the... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's it. So, so yeah, if, if, the, if the content you've written about that going on, on trips like that uh, yeah, then ranks in search engines and, you know, covers that brand and sort of shows them off in, in all their glory, then, you, like you say, they're going to get a lot more value from from that longer-term thing than they would have got from from just one kind of flash in yeah. the pan when, when you do it. Um, so, yeah, good, good, good tip like that. Um, so, just moving on, what kind of personal qualities do you think have led to you being successful in, in, in doing what you're doing? Um, probably a, a dogged determination. I, 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 I work hard. I don't, I don't know many people that are successful in business that, that don't put the hours in, quite frankly. I, I know you see all these images of people with laptops on the beach. It's, I'm not saying it never happens, but it's not usually reality. The, the two don't easily go hand in hand. So I think a lot of people think that... Um, travel bloggers or uh, I know I know certain certainly people that I know that friends of mine that, that say they say to me things oh when are you going on your next holiday and it's not a holiday at all and uh, and I, I, I guess that's just a misunderstanding of the industry but um, I, I think my number one tip would be work work hard number two tip would pro- probably be to work wisely as well to work as efficiently as you can yeah yeah you must be pretty organized as well paul i imagine like, you know you met obviously we talked about managing hundreds of websites or you know hundreds of people and writers you must have a sort of underlying organizational uh, a chaotic chaotic organization you can see behind me can't you so uh <laughs> everything in its place just uh, only, your office you know. looks your office looks a lot tidier have you got one of those fake backgrounds or? hey well no this is uh i can't take credit for it this is claire is is very much the kind of minimalist <laughs> in the in the family so uh so yeah she drives all that and to be honest i love it you know it took me i was very much someone who you know would have their clothes lying around everywhere and you know every nothing had its place uh claire's, claire's slowly um tuned me on that front <laughs> and uh and made me better at it but it's you know i feel you know it's it's obviously it's uh you know we live in the world of Marie Kondo and all that kind of stuff now don't we where that is all that stuff celebrated but i you know i can kind of speak to the benefits of of that and you know yeah, having definitely. having less stuff and less you know less confusion and and all that kind of stuff to um you know to consider so yeah i think when we we've these offices we've only been in for you know year year and a half and you know by that point we were we were we always started fairly 
sort of thin with the amount of stuff that we had and, and paired back and uh, yeah it's you know obviously when you come to like moving from building to building you you know it's a point to get rid of stuff and, and yeah take definitely. what you need so uh, makes the next so, yeah. move easier yeah no indeed indeed um as, in terms of your you, you mentioned it earlier kind of the site not being too focused on you as an individual but I guess you've kind of naturally got a personal brand if you like off off the back of it even if the site doesn't necessarily play on it too too much is there is there anything you've done to emphasize that is it something that's happened in spite of the fact you didn't really want it kind of what's been your view of that yeah it's always been a, a deliberate um approach on my on my part <clears throat> um whether i'm just not narcissistic enough or but i, th I think it was very much a conscious de decision because when i started the blog and I was going on trips with my family that were semi-work, semi-holiday, semi, semi -holiday, um, was when my children were really young and I was very sort of conscious of, uh, I had a large following, I've got young children, I, I, I just didn't want my kids and my family to be in all the photos. Um, yeah. I know that's, that's just a personal choice, other people like to be in every photo. Um, what one thing I think it, it is perhaps to my detriment with it is um, I think it affects engagement because people tend to engage with people. And because I take a step back, that makes the engagement a, a little harder, really. Um, I mean, I'm if I go to a travel conference, I, I'm known amongst other people in the travel industry, but I've never really wanted to be a, a kind of figurehead for the blog. Yes, I'm, there's an about page and there's a picture of me there, but yeah. I've not wanted to be in every picture of every trip that I, I go on. Um, yeah. For yeah. This, um, I'll skip to it now as that segues quite nicely into it, but in terms of like the your future plans for the business, how, how do you view that? You know, this, I guess, this is the beauty of it just being you and you being kind of you know, in charge of everything and not having necessarily the challenges of managing staff and all that kind of thing. But there is then a bit of a longevity question of what what happens after that. Have, yeah. you, have you got a view of kind of where you see it going down, down the line? Um, so I suppose, as you say, pulling on that last point, one advantage of the fact that I'm not at four of, of the blog is that it's it becomes a much more, in my opinion, it becomes a much more saleable entity um it's it's not de it's not dependent on that one person being at the force still um if if a tour operator a tour operator came to me and said i'll give you x for your blog and if i thought x was an attractive sum then they've got something that they could take on and it wouldn't they, they could continue it very much in the format that it is now because it's not highly dependent on on me so i suppose that's a plus in terms of like an exit strategy or anything, I, I don't necessarily have one. I, if somebody came along and, and wanted to purchase it and, and it was all hunky-dory, that's great. But actually, I'm very happy carrying on what I'm doing into semi, you know, it's a job that I can, uh, I, I plan to work hard at it for some years to come, but it's one of those kinds of jobs that I could I could just take a bit more of a back, back role, but still uh, still continue running it in, in a kind of semi-retirement. If one day I chose to do that, um, yeah. so no, no firm plans uh, at the moment. The the key thing is to keep on increasing the content, and whilst 
not not compromising the quality, obviously, and to obviously with that increase the the audience as well. Yeah, nice. The yeah, the the point of the yeah, I guess the personality and the the saleability of it is a is a really good one. Um, which, like you say, most blogs are quite heavily built on that on the people who you know who are running them. Yeah. Um, which is a you know which then often to the extent that their name is in the blog. I mean, that's the other thing about a luxury travel blog. It's not Paul's travels or anything like that. It that also makes it very transferable, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, have you got any, you, you, you've touched on the travel guide things. Are there any kind of other future plans in terms of like growth and, and things you want to do with it? Um, I know we've touched in our sort of SEO discussions about having sort of more focused guides, a bit like the travel guides, but maybe top places to go and see gorillas. How I integrate that, obviously I've got blog content like that as well. So um, whether I'll have separate pages purely for accommodation in a certain area that's maybe something we'll we'll talk about one day i don't know but uh, yeah. in the immediate term I've, i'm feeling i've got hundreds of guides i want to produce and that's going to keep me busy for two yeah, or three yeah. years at least i think <laughs> absolutely absolutely we'll keep you busy one way or another <laughs> um super okay what one of the uh, on kind of last last couple of things just to ask you about before we bring it to a close. Uh, what I was going to, just before I, I skipped ahead there, one of the things I was going to ask about was you mentioned you like distance running. I saw that come up in a bit of my research. Oh. Do you still do you still get out running? Is that still something you do? Funnily enough, I went this morning. Excellent. I, I ran the dog this morning. So yeah, um, I, I've uh, sort of tailed back the distance a bit, but I, yeah, I still go running. So um through my window here, I, can, I look straight onto the, the fells uh, on the edge of the Lake District. So I tend to go running on there with the dog. Uh, I won't say most days, but a few times a week usually. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, a few years ago, I ran um, for charity. You might have read about this, but I ran for charity. I did uh, 10K every day for a whole year. Um, wow. Uh, and, that, and it was a leap year as well. So Nice. An extra day for good measure. Yeah. You, so I ran about two and a half thousand miles that year. Right. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. How did you find that? Any particular challenges along the way? I like a run uh, myself, so I'm interested to dig into this. You're a runner as well, are you? I like a run. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. get out a few a few times a week, and yeah. I've, I've done. Yeah, I've done a marathon. I did the the Yorkshire Three Peaks run. Wow. Um, I'm sure you're a bit ago, faster so than me, but we'll have to go for a run Claire's together dad. sometime. So. Yeah, Claire's, Claire's yeah, dad um, is really into it. So yeah, I, I, I he kind of convinced me that. That was a good idea to go and do that. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, challenges of that particular thing. Um, I, I, there were a few interesting things that happened in the course of the year. So there was one time where I was climbing over a gate and I just, the it was quite an old gate and it kind of buckled as I climbed over and I, I slipped and I caught the back of my leg on the gate. I was hanging off the gate. But the upshot of, of it was that I was injured for a few days, still having to run this 10K a day and that was that was probably the the hardest part if you like other things that happened i i was running along just a few miles from here and i saw a dog run off a cliff um, oh, wow. and i had it, it was with two old ladies i had to jog around and thankfully the dog survived in, with just a, a cut above its eye but that was quite interesting and then yeah. i had one day where i was on a 24-hour ferry and i still had to get my 10k running <laughs> so I was on the ferry, ferry to Santander, and I, 
I had visions of doing laps of the ferry and I thought that would look really interesting on Strava, all these sort of circles. But in the end, because um, it was quite wet outside and I thought it's, they're not going to let me run, you know, around the ferry. So I basically, we got to our accommodation at 11 at night and then I was out on the streets doing my 10K at some unearthly hours. So nice. yeah, some interesting uh, challenges throughout the year. Yeah, certainly. Nice. Have you done? You've. I've seen that you've done a few a few marathons over the years. Have you, have you done anything further than that? Have you got sucked into the like ultra running craze? I've done a, a walk of about thirty miles, but um, no, I've I've been tempted, and uh, it's yet to happen though. So there's there's a run here. Well, there's a couple of interesting runs in the Lake District. There's one called the Bob Graham, which is a twenty four hour run that goes over. 66 miles something like that depending on what yeah. re but all the main peaks of the lake district and i think more people have climbed everest than have completed the bob graham so it's wow. uh mind you lots of people go up everest these days but there's a there's a a marathon i have done the windermere marathon um but concurrent with that there's something called uh 10 in 10 which is 10 marathons in 10 days with the windermere marathon being the last one but they're all going around windermere right. um but i've 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 not not been lured into that one yet. So I think it's uh, you'd have to be a glutton for punishment. Yeah, well, it's just interesting. I, you know, I was asking that kind of in the follow-on of the you know the personal qualities side of things, and you mentioned obviously being dogged and determined and that kind of thing. And yeah. it was that that kind of crossover into distance running. I think is um, you know. Well, you know what it's like if you have you done many marathons or. No, I've, 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 well, so I've done, I've done one road marathon and then the, the three peaks Yorkshire races, 20, 25, 25 and a half, something like that. And obviously as the hills so you, thrown you know it. how determined you have to be just, just to do the training for it. really. Ex so. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tough, but it's, listen, I love it. I think one of the reasons I've got into it is as an outlet from, you know, the day to day of running the business and, uh, you know, being able to, we live, you know, we live in, in Yorkshire yeah. and again, we can go out the door and get up onto the, up, up, on, up into the hills and the countryside and things. So it's a, it's a very good way to sort of offset the, the day to day challenges of running the business. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think you often find when you speak to people who are, who are running successful businesses and things that they, they have some form of, of outlet like that, that, um, yeah. you know, yeah. that corresponds. Well, um, next time we next time we meet, we'll have to don the trainers and uh, absolutely. No, I'd, I would love that. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> if I can keep up with you, <laughs> I don't, well, you know, I'm the I'm the slowest runner in the family. Again, Claire, Claire's the Claire's the big deal uh, around here. <laughs> and I, if I I can, I've stopped going with her now because I always lose. So uh, I just go out <laughs> on my own. <laughs> um, so as a last one, just to just to finish off, Paul, what what advice would you give to anyone who's thinking about? starting a starting a travel business or who is in the very early stages of starting a travel business to you know is there anything you'd recommend um well probably now is going to be a an interesting time to start uh, and, and probably plenty of opportunities i would have thought i think there's a lot of people that have have left the travel industry sadly in in the last year or so um obviously it depends on the nature of the business but um it's a bit like that the previous question do your research and um best of luck with it really yeah super um lovely listen this has been great i've loved it there's there's lots of interesting little uh, things come up paul that i i certainly didn't know so uh, and i'm sure people who are listening will find really really useful um 
is there anything else you'd like to share with with people listening before we before we bring it to a close i don't think so um no i hey. think i think we covered quite a lot didn't we yeah yeah absolutely absolutely where's where's the best place for people to to find you paul uh the contact form on my website is the best place. So a luxury and use the contact form. Uh, my email is paul at dedicate.co.uk. Uh, but the contact form probably gets around any spam filters and, and so on. That's probably the best yeah. way. Okay. And yeah, I guess if they go to the blog, they can find all the, all the social profiles and everything. From exactly. There. They're all on there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks for coming on. Really enjoyed Thank it. Thank you. And, yeah. Uh, I've yeah, enjoyed it also. Thank you. Thanks. Tom. Speak to you soon. Thanks Paul. And there we have it. I hope you enjoyed that one. I love Paul's insight and what he's built is really impressive, especially considering he does that as a one-man band working purely with freelancers. Let us know what you think on our social channels or in the comments on iTunes, and we'd love to get your feedback and uh, yeah, build that into other stuff that we're doing in the future. You can find a luxury travel blog at aluxurytravelblog.com or follow their updates on Twitter at luxurytravel or forward slash luxury travel on Facebook. You can also follow Paul on Instagram at Paul H. Johnson. That's P-A-U-L-H-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. Go to seotravel.co.uk forward slash Paul hyphen Johnson for all the show notes and links to the various things that Paul mentioned there. You can also watch the video of the conversation on that page and visit seotravel.co.uk forward slash podcasts for other episodes that we've done where you could get lots of other insight too. If you're a travel company looking for marketing support from people who really care about your success, then please do get in touch at seotravel.co.uk and we'd love to hear from you. You can also read more about our 100% project there, which outlines how we give all the profit we make from the business to educational charities, both at home and around the world. We'd love your support in spreading the word so we can help those charities as much as possible. If you enjoyed the show, it would be fantastic if you could review it on iTunes and share what your favorite bits were in comments there. Subscribe to it there, and it would be amazing if you could share it with at least one person you know who could benefit from this episode and the insight that Paul offered. I'd love to hear from you and find out what you enjoyed so we can continue to bring you more content like this that you find entertaining and helpful. So please do let me know. My email is tom, T-O-M, at seotravel.co.uk. We've got more wonderful guests coming up, so stay tuned for future episodes. And when you, get, and when you subscribe, you'll get notified whenever we release new episodes, so you can stay one step ahead of the game. Otherwise, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And until next time, happy travels. <laughs>